This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharudin and this is GG Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. This week, we're going to talk about gaming's niche subgenre, Metroidvania. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and of Neil Ting. Thank you, Hanif. Here are some news headlines uh, from the week. We have another update involving the now-notorious Activision Blizzard. Uh, the pressure for them to bring sweeping changes to the company has intensified with treasurers from California, Massachusetts, Illinois, Oregon, Delaware and Nevada calling on the company to take action. These states invest in the company through pension funds and as such can have a say and pressure Activision Blizzard to take action and do something about it. According to Axiom, the state treasurers sent a letter to Activision Blizzard late November calling for a meeting to discuss Activision's response to the issue. They also said that they will consider calling for a vote against re-election of incumbent directors. Activision Blizzard has reportedly responded to the letters but the content is unknown. The treasurers are now setting a deadline for the meeting to take place by 20th of December. Yeah, and despite all of this, Activision Blizzard still continue to make headlines elsewhere, this time involving their decision to lay off at least a dozen quality assurance contractors from the Call of Duty studio, uh, Raven Software, as part of a restructuring effort at the company. And according to the report by the Washington Post, there will be more employees that will know their fate over the next few days as well. Raven Software has been involved with the Call of Duty franchise for quite some time now, working with Infinity Ward on Call of Duty Warzone and Treyarch on Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. And uh, this news was pretty upsetting to a majority of the employees over there right now. Mm, No respite for Activision Blizzard with backlash after backlash coming true. But up next, gaming giants Electronic Arts is shaking up their development structure to grow and expand the Battlefield series. This comes after a very shaky launch for their latest release, Battlefield 2042, which was riddled with a lot of bugs and a lack of features found in previous games. Yes, and uh, you know, continuing on from our reports last week, uh, EA seems to now want to move forward with the franchise, uh, with the company announcing the creation of a Battlefield universe that will seemingly span multiple games and offerings. And it will be developed by different studios across North America and also Europe. Uh, so this shakeup started at the top with uh, DICE GM Oscar Gabrielson leaving the company to pursue a new and different endeavor outside of EA and respawns Vince Zampella, uh, becoming the new overall boss of the Battlefield franchise. Now, Marcus Leto, who previously designed Halo, will be building a new development team in Seattle, aimed at injecting more storytelling into the universe. Meanwhile, Ripple Effect, the studio behind Battlefield 2042's Portal Mood, is developing a new Battlefield experience in the 2042 universe. According to EA in the immediate future, DICE, Ripple Effect and Lito's studio in Seattle will be working together to improve and expand Battlefield 2042, with future plans beyond this game still not in the works yet. The focus on narrative is pretty interesting considering that the latest Battlefield did not come with any single-player mood, so EA still recognises the importance of having a story mood for a franchise like this. Yeah, so what will this focus on Battlefield mean for another franchise under DICE, which is the Star Wars Battlefront? Uh, It seems that now the Battlefront might have to take a back seat considering the big move made by EA towards Battlefield, as well as reports claiming that EA rejected a pitch for Battlefront 3 uh, due to the licensing costs. 
uh, it is ambitious and let's hope it all turns out well so they can start fixing Battlefield 2042 first. Now, moving on, reports have emerged claiming that It Takes Two, a co-op game developed by Hazelight, has been hit by a trademark claim from Rockstar's parent company, Take Two. Hmm. Yes, it seems that Take Two is claiming ownership of the phrase It Takes Two and is looking to claim the right to use it from Hazelight's game. A Hazelight spokesperson said that the studio cannot comment on ongoing disputes, but they're hopeful that it will be resolved based on their statement to Eurogamer. In that interview, they also did not dismiss or dispute that they had been forced to abandon the trademark to its game because of Take Two. They also did not comment on whether they have any plans to rename the game or whether this will hamper their plans for any potential sequel. Strange, but Take Two has been known to be very particular when it comes to this issue, with US Patent Office records showing that they have filed to contest numerous names with connections to the word Rockstar, Social Club, Mafia, Civilization, and more. Oh, this is a very dicey subject here. Mm. Uh, and, you know, coupled with how strong they went in to try and take down the GTA mods that were made by fans, it shows how heavy-handed Take-Two can be. And, you know, to the point of almost bullying all the other players in the industry by claiming these things uh, or otherwise. But going back to Hazelight and It Takes Two, uh, we hope that this case will be ruled in their favour as we know that the phrase... It takes two is a common phrase in English language, and you know it's nothing to do with uh, specifically the Take Two interactive company. Mm. Uh, you know, and we hope that common sense will prevail one way or another. Okay, lastly, Sony is reportedly working on their own version of Xbox Game Pass service, based on a report by Bloomberg. The service is rumored to be called Spartacus for now, and is going to mimic Microsoft's Game Pass, where players can earn a monthly subscription fee for access to a library of modern and classic games. Based on the documents quoted in the report, the service will be broken into three tiers. The first will be similar to the existing PlayStation Plus, which is required for online gaming on the PlayStation and free games each month. The second tier will give gamers access to a game library like Game Pass, while the third and highest tier will include access to extended demos, game streaming, and a larger gaming library that also includes PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP games. Yeah, so essentially this service will also combine both PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now with the now rumoured to be phased out under this new program should it come to reality. Uh, and the service is expected to be launched in spring 2022 with no reports of how much it will cost as of now. Sony is definitely playing catch-up at the moment, considering how successful the Xbox Game Pass is with 18 million subscribers as of January 2021. But better late than never, right? At the end of the day, it's the gamers that benefit from all of this. So let's hope that this is true. Okay, that's all we have for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Ali and Ofnil. Nintendo recently released a new Metroid game called Metroid Dread, and we thought that this would be a perfect chance to start talking about the game as well as the subgenre in which the game belongs to, aptly called Metroidvania, or its proper term, Search Action Adventure. Jonathan Leo from Kakuchopure.com is going to help us with that, but first up, he's going to share his thoughts on Metroid Dread. Yes, I've played and finished it. It took me about about six to seven hours on my first playthrough. On my second playthrough, I decided to put it on hard. So, generally, you play a bounty hunter named Samus. She's like the original female lead protagonist in video games back in the first Metroid in the 80s. So now this is a new entry which continues the story from Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance, which is, I believe, the game that was made 
a decade or more. I think it was 20 years ago. I don't remember. It's, it's the time when the Game Boy Advance existed. So Metroid Dread is a new search action game that's made for the Nintendo Switch. It's 2D. You are still stuck in a very dark, depressing planet with different elements here and there. And you got to basically control Samus as she gets out of the planet after being trapped inside through a series of predicaments. Along the way, she finds out about her lineage and whatnot, which I won't spoil because I recommend anyone who loves search action games or Metroidvanias to play this game because it's really good. It's well-designed. It's really challenging, but very fair in a sense. And you are given a lot of freedom to move around and explore as well as, you know, if you play like for the second time, there are instances where you can actually break sequence where because the level is designed in a way that you find one power-up, it gets you to another area, and then you get another power-up, like the screw attack or whatnot, and you go to another different section. This game, actually, if you know what you're doing, and if you figure out how the levels are laid out and the skills you can pull off, you can actually skip certain sequences to get you to skip ahead of time and maybe even complete the game in less than four hours. So it's definitely one for newbies who actually like a challenge in your search action games. And also for hardcore fans who want to speedrun a Metroid game. This is the whole full package right there. Made by a very talented Mercury Steam company. Good developers. They've learned a lot since their time in working on Castlevania games. Oh yeah, I think there's a new mechanic in this uh, Metroid Dread where basically when you're stuck in a particular section of the game, you are chased down by these seemingly unkillable robots called the Emmys. So in certain segments of the game, you have to run away from these things. You have to use special power-ups to make you invisible or you know, use the grappling hook to actually get you away from these creatures really fast or use special dash moves to actually get you through so that you can actually trap the droids temporarily until you get a special Omega Beam that lets you destroy them to open up more of the area or even get a new power-up to advance to the top of the stage. So I feel like you the, the whole thing about the atmosphere and the dread and the whole feeling and the music and everything and the graphics, it makes you feel like you're definitely lost in a whole new planet, getting you... Lost power-ups to open up new areas as well as get more and more powerful. The controls, I have to admit, they do take some time getting used to, especially with the not-so-helpful default Joy-Cons. I kind of had to use a Pro Controller to play through this game properly. But if you're really good at playing it a second time, you also get to play it the second time as well, you know, to break sequences and whatnot, like I mentioned. So it's definitely a high-tier title exclusive to Nintendo Switch. So I will recommend this for anyone who's looking for a 2D search action game challenge as well as hardcore fans who are looking forward to a great successor to Super Metroid. This is definitely the game to get for this year. Um, how does it fare when you compare it to other Metroid games in, uh, in the past? Well, if I have to be very honest, I think it's like just one step below Super Metroid. But it's a good successor. It's like a good follow-up. It's definitely just on par with Metroid Fusion and it's definitely much better than the previous Metroid games like Metroid Other M or maybe even the Prime series. I would say they're a league of their own, but in terms of the 2D games, I'd say Metroid Dread is on top there. Just one step below Super Metroid, which is a really good standing on itself. You said earlier that this game is pretty accessible. Uh, is this game a good introduction to that Metroidvania genre? Before we talk deeper about the genre, is this game a good, I guess, starting point for people who want to learn more about the genre? Oh, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, because you are actually learning... The game actually go, puts you through the motions of the stage. Like, the tutorial stage and everything will teach you all you need to know to survive in the next six to seven hours or so. Like, once you get through your first Emmy and once you get through your first counter, because uh, now Simons can now parry attacks, which is pretty cool, you basically have to use those tools to survive throughout the entire game. So it's really up to your ingenuity and your creativeness and your reflexes to survive 
all the challenges and the bosses you fight in the game. Alright, so um, as for the Metroid genre itself, um, like, is there like a, for example, like a separation between, you know, fans of the Metroid Prime series and fans of the OG Metroid series, you know? Um, I don't think there is because anyone who has played Metroid Prime must have probably touched Super Metroid at the time. And by itself, the Metroid Prime itself, it's a 3D action shooter game with Metroid with search action elements. You still explore places here and there. You get power-ups, you get to unlock rooms here and there. So it's more or less an extension of the Metroid franchise. So fans who played either one or the other would have played past titles if they know, if they really want to check out the legacy of the game itself because, because Super Metroid is still accessible up to this day and age. To a certain extent, you know, when you think about how, you know, we move from the 2D world to the 3D world and when Metroid started making Metroid Prime, um, you would think that, you know, Metroid Prime would be the, I guess, the main canon, quote-unquote, of the series, right? And yet, uh, Nintendo still decided to, I guess, continue with the original 2D Metroid. Uh, is, is there a reason why um, they still want to retain the 2D version of the game? Oh, that's easy because it's long overdue and a lot of Nintendo fanboys can't shut up about it, basically. But to be serious, it's a long time coming. We A lot of fans have been burned by Metroid Other M that came out on the Wii a long time ago. And there hasn't been like a new Metroid entry even with the Wii U coming in and the Switch. So I believe it's because um, Nintendo has trust in the developer Mercury Steam because they handled the remake of Metroid 2, Samus Return, for the 3DS. So they decided to task this new Metroid entry to this developer who are trusted and it worked out really well uh. And of course, this is basically like a throwback, like a nice return to form for the true Metroid story, as well as continue the story that was set up in Metroid Fusion. So yeah, like I said, it's long overdue and fans deserve this entry and they deserve to buy and pay and enjoy what they get from paying a lot for this game. Alright, that's great. Okay, so um, like we've mentioned at the top of our, our conversation earlier, this game belongs in a subgenre called uh, Metroidvania, right? Uh, it's a, I guess it's derived from a combination of the word Metroid and also Castlevania. And these two are technically uh, two different franchises, right? Um, which means that I think to a certain extent, these two games play a huge role in creating or, you know, and or in shaping this so-called subgenre. But for those out there who are not familiar with this subgenre, what is it exactly? <laughs> Well, the thing is, the correct term is actually search action, which was established by Nintendo back when they made Metroid and Super Metroid. But anyway, it's like, basically, you call a shooter Halo Doom. It's the same idea. You call a search action game Metroidvania. But anyway, I digress. Metroidvania was coined from the game, obviously, when you mentioned, it's coined from the games Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which actually broke the mold. Because these two games, again, they, they created a new subtype of 2D action platformer are 2D action platformer games featuring a giant map for our heroes to explore and uncover. So instead of like a linear progression, you are dumped into one starting area and you explore bits and pieces of a castle or a desolate planet. And in the, in the particular pathway, you get a power-up to actually open up another pathway. So there is some like non-linearity to it. But at the same time, you cannot access the entire map until you unlock all the power-ups, which are done sequential. So you use these new abilities and power-ups that you take from either bosses or special events. You open up previously locked area and you do a lot of backtracking. So what makes a Metroidvania fun is from the power-ups you get that makes you feel really good. Whether these power-ups are useful as you uncover more of the area in, whether they're useful in dealing with the puzzles, the level design from the entire map, as well as 
the puzzles that are revolving around the power-ups you have, as well as the traversal method, because we know that backtracking in RPGs can be boring, right? So to give you a power-up that lets you backtrack better and faster to a different area in a different map actually makes a Metroidvania really fun. So there are, of course, there are many Metroidvanias and such action games out there from many, many, many indie companies, as well as like, you know, some of your slightly higher than average indie company or like your B-tier studios. But what separates the best from the worst is of course like how fun it is to get the power-ups, whether they're useful or traveling or the level design that's interesting, as well as the traversal methods that makes it, you know, a joy to move from one end to the other. That was Jonathan Leo from kakuchupure.com and we've been talking about Metroid Dread and the subgenre Metroidvania. We're going to make way for some messages more after this. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharuddin. Jonathan Leo from Kakuchopuri.com joins me this week to talk about Metroid Dread and the genre it belongs to called Metroidvania. He has given us the definition of the genre in the first part of the show. Now we're going to continue the conversation by looking at the games this genre was inspired by, Metroid and Castlevania, specifically Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Of course, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is very non-traditional to the point where you get to equip equipments and items as well as turn on special skills and whatnot to help you out either in combat or traversal. So the thing that sets apart uh, Metroidvania from other platformers is, the again, the non-linear aspect and the element of the map that you're in, whether it's a haunted castle or a desolate planet like in Metroid. So again, it's how the levels are designed in a way that you go one pathway and then go to the next one and whatnot. It doesn't, it's like you go from one end to the other, not in a straight line. It, the line itself is very curvy, wavy. And then it all leads up to one point at the end where you probably fight a big boss or you escape from the castle that's going to explode or whatnot. But it really, again, it's all about the non-linear nature of the platformer itself in Metro in a search action game. Because again, like I mentioned, the searching is there and the action is there. It ties it all together. If you make both elements really fun, that's what makes a successful Metroidvania title. Hmm. And I tend to sometimes confuse between uh, Metroidvania and roguelike or roguelike, you know? You know what I mean? So is there like a similarity between the two or like, you know, a roguelike game can also be a Metroidvania game at the same time? Or is oh yeah, it like, they can, you know? they can. Um, there are some instances where they actually borrow one element or the other. Roguelikes are basically you go from point A to B. There is a straight line. But if you die, you start all over from the beginning. But of course, you get... I guess you technically get more and more powerful as you go on. Like, Dead Rising is an example of a roguelike. But Metroidvania, you get to explore... You still die the traditional way. You die, you start from the last checkpoint you're at, which is your last save point or safe room. But basically, Metroidvania, the whole emphasis is on the search of the search action genre. You're searching through, you're exploring a big area. So a Metroidvania can take you about 8 to 10 hours or less if you know how to break sequence. Okay, and is breaking sequence something that, um, you know, hardcore gamers tend to want to do? Or do Oh, yes, they do. They will do that. Whenever they find a power-up and if they can find a way to bypass certain sections, they will do it. There are many, a lot of hardcore players and speedrunners are very excited to play a new Metroid or a new search action game because it gives them the chance to flex their skills, to, to break something or to find a glitch in a path or find a path that was purposely put there so that, you know, it entices you to, you know, 
go for broke or, you know, try to skip ahead of the curve or shave off you a few hours because some of these games actually give you bonuses and rewards if you finish them in less than the intended average playtime. Mm. Um, Roadlight has gained uh, a reputation for being uh, a bit more difficult, right? Especially uh, because of the nature of the game where, you know, if you die, you have to start all over again. Um, does Metrovina have the same reputation as well? Not entirely, no. The game can get tough, of course. Such action games can be very challenging, but it really depends on the context of things. I guess Hollow Knight is one example where there's a lot of challenge to it, but the Metroidvania element is still prevalent because of the exploration and the checkpoint system. But generally, roguelikes are always going to be a straight line. It's going to be, yeah, sure, you can deviate from a path or two, like in Dead Cells, but Dead Cells is still a roguelike 2D platformer. It's more of that genre rather than a Metroidvania. Mm. And um, you mentioned that I think uh, these games are popularized a lot more or developed a lot more by indie studios, right? Um, which means that they're most likely going to be in 2D. Do, do we have any 3D Metroidvania games? Uh, well, the 3D versions are not true Metroidvania games, like true search action games, because a search action game will always be 2D because Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night are originally 2D games. So they have to be 2D. Having said that, there are a good number of titles that take the search action elements and put it in 3D, into its 3D uh, design and scope, like the 2018 God of War or basically a Legend of Zelda game, which itself is its own genre. But you know what I mean. Okay, Metroid Prime would be a good example because, again, it's a 3D action shooter title that happens to have Metroid elements because it's a Metroid game, right? Mm, okay, so uh, what what makes these games uh, exciting and unique for gamers? Apart from, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, uh, trying to, I guess, break the sequence and whatnot. But, I, you know, uh, what makes it a very, I would, I would say it's, it is kind of like a popular niche genre, right? If you think about it. Uh, yeah, what's, what's the appeal for gamers out there? Especially, I guess, gamers who still enjoy 2D games. Not to say that 2D games are, you know like inferior but you know there is a certain charm to playing 2D games these days right definitely I think the thing that really makes gamers and probably myself very excited for a new search action title is it's uh, the the fact that you get the power ups like when you play Metroid Dread as soon as you get the flash step power up the ability to dodge then opens up a whole new combat element and a new way to bypass a previous area that actually gated you from the start as well as opening up like new Varia suit power-ups that let you withstand the heat and the extreme heat and extreme cold, as well as power-ups like the screw attack or like, um, what was this other power-up, the one where you boost dash, the special boost dash thing where you actually charge up a speed dash and then you charge up all the way up to the top. That Those are the cool power-ups you get that lets you open up different avenues and open up a new puzzle element in the game. Those really make me excited for a new search action title. Mm, but it is kind of technical and does require a bit of patience as well, right? Uh, patience in exploring, basically. Not so much, I mean, skill, yes, but also in terms of exploring and, you know, getting there and ex- and checking out the other areas that were previously locked out. I mean, getting a new power-up, like a new laser is always really cool. Uh, a good Metroidvania has to make it, make that element of the game really, really cool and really, really rewarding, especially when you defeat a really tough boss. Mm. Uh, obviously there are the Metroid games and then we have the Castlevania series you also mentioned Hollow Knight uh, but what are other games that have popularized the genre? Oh okay the really popular games that people should play who are listening to this show right now are of course I'll list out a few Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori and the Will of the Wisps 
They're available on Xbox and PC. That's a really beautiful looking Metroidvania title, which is also very challenging because there are some sequences where you have to run away from, from a hazard, whether it's a sandworm or a avalanche. And those bits can get very, very challenging. But fortunately, the respawn points are very, very close. So it's very fair. There are also a bunch of titles like the Shante titles. Shante, um, you star as a cute little genie and you fight through like a fantasy land. There's actually a bunch of entries, uh, Shante, Shante, Risky's Revenge, and Shante, The Pirate's Curse. Those are available right now on PC, PS4, and Xbox. Those are really fun, as well as on Switch. Uh, Axiom Verge is also another good one. Cave Story, Steam Old Dig 2. That last game I mentioned, Steam Old Dig 2, is basically you digging all the way downwards and you're opening up a new map. But at the same time, you get to exp- you get to open up new areas with the new power-ups you get from the top surface level, the shops and whatnot, because you're a digger, basically. So that, that's a really cool uh, game, uh, SteamWorld Dig 2. A really good example of a well-made Metroidvania search action title. And, uh, and of course, there's Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which is basically Symphony of Night Part 2. It's made, even made by the same developers, but they're out of Konami and they have their own studio. So yeah, you can check out Bloodstained Ritual of the Night for a really good example of a Symphony of the Night sequel, a spiritual successor. Mm. What about Castlevania itself? Uh, is it still a good franchise? No new entries, unfortunately. In fact, Konami has been releasing like repackaged Game Boy Advance and uh, past titles, past Metroid, Metroidvania titles. Like, of course, Symphony, Symphony of the Night should be available on Xbox, PlayStation, on anywhere right now. And they, I believe Konami has released like a Game Boy Advance trilogy pack with uh, one of the titles being Castlevania Aria of Sorrow which is actually a really good um, search action title and it's arguably better than Symphony of the Night because it actually reworks a lot of the good things that made Symphony of the Night great. Like the levels and the action and the protagonists and the elements of fighting here and there and the soul system as well, which is pretty cool. You get to kill a monster, you get to steal your abilities and I think there are like 200 monsters to kill so you get lots of skills to mix and match. So it's pretty cool. And even though the music and the graphics are, of course, Game Boy Advance quality, the entire game and everything is still really well designed. And again, I'll put this next to Symphony of the Night as one of the better search action titles out there. Mm, all right. So um, this is one of those genres where, you know, I know as a gamer, you probably think that, oh, it's a game best played on, you know, a mobile console like a Switch, right? Is that is that a, like a fair assessment of, of the of the genre? You think not really, but it's actually nice to actually have it played on those portables. So a lot of people do want to play these kind of games on the Switch because it's like you explore a bit of the area, you get to a set point, and then you stop, and then you can continue again. So it's one of those pick up and play kind of experiences that will actually benefit a portable device like the Nintendo Switch. Mm. Um, so what's the future for the genre? Um, will it like grow even bigger or do you think that it will still be a niche genre? Oh no, it's still very bright despite the fact that it's kind of niche. Like you will still have different titles coming out from indie developers. I think off the top of my head in 2022, there's going to be Salt and Sacrifice, which is a sequel to Salt and Sanctuary. There's Moolander, Eldoran, Glimmer and Mirror, The Light of the Darkness. There's even a Blasphemy too. Uh, Bushinden and a couple more which I have I mean there are probably more being made by the time the year has gone on in fact I think there's a Game Awards going to be shown like next week by the time the show is already out so they're probably going to announce more Metroidvania search action games coming out next year and even the year beyond 
Mm. So it's definitely going to be around, right? Oh yeah, it's going to be a very popular genre. It's still a popular genre among gamers despite its niche niche element. But does it manage to gain new followers or is it just among those who have played all the original, you know, all the all the pioneers, you know what I mean? I think it's more like uh, being played by people who are into the indie scene, which is still a number of people who don't want to pay 60 US for a brand new title that's probably going to be a rehash of the last one. So I guess for people who want new experiences, new indie experiences and don't want to spend so much on games, the search action titles from indie developers would be a good start. Mm. And what can they expect? Like, for example, if they have never played any of these games before, um, what what should they be mindful of? Or what what should they prepare for? Oh, they should just be prepared to actually spend lots of hours exploring an area, as well as, you know, finding out what cannot be entered, what rooms are gated. And then they have to find... I mean, I should. I would suggest to them not to look at a guide so that you can have fun in the exploration bit itself. I mean, you actually discover more as you play through the game more and more. You can tell whether a Metroidvania is well-designed or it's just done in a linear fashion by just playing through the game, seeing clues of how the level is being designed and whatnot, and seeing how it leads you to a certain pathway. Because a Metroidvania, a search action title, lives and dies by its level design. And the good ones usually stay at the pinnacle because of how tight their design and how well-paced they are. Like Again, like I mentioned, Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow, Symphony of the Night, they're top-tier search action games because of the design and how the, the level is laid out, as well as the power-ups you get that makes you feel like a, you know, like a very powerful person, like an uber, uber warrior and whatnot. Mm, all right, okay. Uh, any last words on, on the genre itself? Um, I think I said a lot. I mean, I mentioned all the top ones you check out, so that's about it. I would say that, yeah, uh, like those games I mentioned, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Shante, Cave Story, Axe and Verge, Steam Old Dig 2, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, the Castlevania GBA Collection featuring Aria of Sorrow. Get those games if you want like a textbook example of how to make a good search action Metroidvania title. You're tuned in to GG Wellplayed and that was Jonathan Leo from kakuchopere.com talking about Metroidvania games. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about today's topic or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay safe. Till next time, GG Wellplayed. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.